You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. With the market being as heated as it is, all the pressure facing buyers these days, some folks are turning to alternative investment strategies, and specifically in the property tech space, we're going to talk about some new pop-ups that are happening around us and what impact it would have in our market. Are they viable options for people who can't get in? And we're also going to do a bit of a market update for you today, bring you up to speed on all of the latest technology companies have tried moving in since the days of Moses. I think he was the first person that uh, had two tablets connected to the cloud, if I wasn't mistaken. <laughs> but we like that as a fun of the show. It's good to see you guys. As a broker investor myself, I want to keep up to date with what's going on in our market. And I thought, why not share it with friends like you? And I've loved the response and the feedback, some of the comments, questions that I get on an ongoing basis, and just conversations. The real estate community is an, it really has open arms to investors alike, whether you're just getting started or you've been doing it for some time. And I'm so glad to be in such an amazing community. If you guys could, please support this particular episode. Hit that like. You can subscribe if you haven't been following our show in that way. And if you haven't already, I'm very excited to be rolling out some off-market deals available across Canada. So please, if you haven't already, jump on our investor list. We also have sent out off-market deals. We sent out a single family out in Richmond Hill this past week. It got gobbled up pretty damn quick. Lots of opportunities out there. And happy to share them with you and connect with you guys in that way as well. But let's get into, before we start talking about different alternative options, how people are investing in new ways in the 21st, what is it? 21st, the 2021st century. How do you, I guess that works. (laughs) No, it doesn't work. But we're going to talk about the market. We're going to talk because we just got stats for Canada. Then we're going to talk specifically to Toronto and what impact that is having in our overall market. Obviously, here on our show, we've been tracking this for a while. Shouldn't be any surprises, but it doesn't hurt to um, to pat ourselves on the back every now and again. So the Canadian real estate stats are out. Here's what they look like. After a slight drop in monthly home sales, the latest statistics from this from Korea, Canadian Real Estate Association, shows a real estate market that's slowly reheating again. They get feedback from BMO's chief economist, Doug Porter. Here's what he says. The national view suggests that the market broadly is looking like it's starting to strengthen again. When we look at national home sales, it set a new annual record rising 8.6%. Listen to this. Single family, one-story, two-story homes, as well as townhomes and apartments saw a month-over-month increase across about three-quarters of all local markets. And what's more important here is specifically and including all major Canadian cities. We're starting to see major Canadian cities winning again. So for any consideration that COVID is pushing people away, the numbers are showing us this very rapid three quarters of the country, specifically in these downtown areas or in the main cities, a comeback in those markets. This is, by the way, the largest month over month growth since July 2020. Remember the craziness we experienced during COVID? That's what we're doing today compared to last year. Check this out. There's been more than 580,000 residential properties sold via MLS so far, which is eclipsing the annual record of 2020 already, 
already. Our numbers, as far as the number of sales, are very high. And you can make the case, I think it's fair to say, 2020 wasn't a complete year. There's a lot of closure, a lot of hiding that took place in the first, into the second quarter. But nonetheless, we are seeing an increase in number of sales year over year, by a long shot. But when we, what's most surprising about the stats that are coming out of the, from, from Canada's perspective was the HPI. From September to October, the HPI rose in a single month, 2.7%. Year over year, home prices are up 23.4%. For those who don't know, HPI is a more specific way to look at housing prices. It breaks it down by category. So instead of just dealing with, you know, the high-end homes are selling this month, the low-end homes are selling that month, and therefore there's a, a discrepancy, it's very specific to housing type, and it's a very easy way for us to compare. It's in some ways a more real figure, 23.4% across Canada. Crazy, crazy. That's not Toronto numbers, that's Canada numbers. But what does it mean for Canadians? They say it depends on what side of the market you're on. Quote, if you're a real estate agent or you've been trying to sell your house, that's a great thing. But if you're looking to buy a house, not such a good thing. (laughs) Is it not obvious? Is it not obvious? It's getting to the point, in my mind, it's well beyond the point of being ideal, right? It's nice to see market prices increasing. But at what point does it become too much? I think that that is behind us. Quote, you never want to see the market get to the point where you're basically pricing out not just people of modest means, but people of significant means people in what should be the downtown let's say the downtown of toronto or in toronto proper moving out to the suburbs and still can't find a place to live imagine such a world well such a world is not so difficult to imagine it's right in our back door how about toronto let's get a little closer actually let's start in ontario ontario recorded an increase of almost 30 percent in home price growth year over year, something that's also reflected in the GTA's market. Quote, the most popular strategy that's been used right now is underpricing your property so you get lots of action on it and get a sold price over the action, over asking. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? Duh. (laughs) There was an article that came out, CTV News published it. It was called Toronto House Hits a Market for $1 and offers are only being accepted today. It's really interesting to see how many people post for $1. And based on how that's happening, you can see that it's chaotic. It's chaotic. It's a three-bedroom in Toronto, a bungalow. But they come at it, Desmond Brown, Toronto real estate agent, and actually the host of another podcast, Sold in the Six. This is his perspective, looking from the angle of a buyer. If you guys are out there like I am, seeking to purchase properties, maybe you're experiencing this. When representing a buyer, however, Brown says it can be very irritating Quote, it ends up generating a lot more competition than is really necessary. So it's a waste of a lot of people's time. And I've seen articles that have calculated the amount of effort, the amount of time that's put into it. And it is staggering. Think of not just your realtor, but you yourself, right? The amount of people that are just walking through of all professions, seeking real estate investors and users that are looking at properties only to end up in a line of 50 showings, I don't know, 15 offers and one winner. All of those guys moving on to the next property and doing it again and again. Waste of time. According to real estate website House Sigma, the property hit the market in October, fun fact, at 1.15 million. That's quite the price drop. 1.15 down to one. We just removed a couple digits. Not that big a deal, right? (laughs) But obviously what's happening in some cases is we do see some stuff, depending on who you ask, I don't see this as much, but I have seen articles and conversations where agents are saying things have slowed down a little bit, a little bit more breathing room. 
not from where I'm sitting, but I think everybody's allowed to have their own perspective on things. In some cases, maybe can't sell it. You overlisted in October. Well, here we are back again, dropping it down to one and getting hit on the CTV News website. Are these people out there honestly thinking they're going to get a house for a dollar? What is this, Black Friday? <laughs> uh, you'd have better luck buying the latest Apple product, right? The iKnife. <laughs> it's cutting-edge technology. Moving on. Impact of interest rates. One of the conversations is what is interest rates going to do? And, and we've had a lot of fun with this conversation. A couple podcasts back talked about how interest rates are going to be the writing on the wall. The one thing that could change everything. But then promptly after we talked about how interest rates could do nothing. In fact, it could lead to more inflation if you miss those. Don't miss those. Go back and have a listen. Lots of fun with those. But the, the angle of this article is that increasing interest rates could, and this is obviously from the BMO chief economist, that interest rates could be the solution. Here's what they say. The solution to rising home prices is higher interest rates. Quote, the biggest policy lever we have in the country is interest rates. There's been a lot of talk recently that the Bank of Canada may indeed start raising interest rates next year. But here's what he says. But I think it will take more than one or two bites of the apple in terms of interest rate hikes to really crawl this market unless they do it all in one shot. Imagine that. Woo! You never know. Who's at the helm? Who's at the wheel? I don't anticipate that to be the case. You get these quarter percentage, maybe a half percent increase. Here's my thinking on this and taking myself completely, maybe this is more from an economic standpoint. I would rather see them increase it now incrementally than get to a position where we need to seriously increase interest rates. And I think inflation are calling for that increase. Let's baby step our way into it. And that that benefits investors. That benefits the entire economy. I am over the psychological reflex that we've experienced in the last five years and the, the, whether that's COVID or the stress test. All of these things that have freaked the hell out of people. Let's let's keep things a little quiet here. All right. Let's just let's take our time. Take a breath. All right. For Canadians wondering what to expect next year is what he says. Pointer points out to the slight decrease in home sales and overall market activity. Maybe things will calm down. I'd be okay with that. I'm I'm all right with coming down from all time highs. That's okay with me. Quote, I would be very surprised if we were able to maintain the kind of strength that we've seen in the past year next year. Ultimately, that's up to you. I think there is general consensus with interest rates looming, people kind of keeping that in the forefront of their mind, that things will slow down naturally. What's interesting to me from where I'm sitting is, okay, we're going to have some kind of increase. That's my thinking. Maybe I'm wrong. But we also have massive inflation. So is that increase short on inflation? So let's say inflation runs super hot at 5% going into next year. But housing prices are growing 2%. That is a loss as far as real dollars are concerned. I don't see that happening. But if it does, we will tell you when it does <laughs> on the show. And we'll tell you when it doesn't. <laughs> and then I'll brag a little bit. No, 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 no. Okay, moving on. Let's look at Toronto, guys. Let's get a little bit more specific here. Toronto home prices are up 33%. 33%. We're outpacing the Canadian numbers. Does it surprise you? Not when the cities are booming. And they say... It isn't cooling anytime soon. What I like about this article is they take the other approach to interest rates. They say interest rates alone are not sufficient to cool things down. It actually comes from a Move Smartly report. That's what they're talking about here. Here's what they say. Quote, those hoping for a slowdown in the Toronto area's housing market will need to wait a bit longer. All indicators, and we're going to break those down for you, from the past month's data from October 21 are showing a market that is actually heating up rather than cooling down. 
call out to those of you considering selling and buying a property, you know, just your regular movement that's happening. Investors, you guys, you know what you're doing. But for people that are just kind of, you know, buying and selling or for realtors out there that are occupied with taking care of such functions or such movements, my thing that I'm watching and indicators like this have me thinking we could end up with a very, very hot winter as far as sales seasonally. And what that would be would be a draw forward of the spring market. And what you'll find in this article is led primarily by investors. But what they have is the active listings for the Toronto area they shared. Shockingly low. There were fewer homes on the market than than by 56% from last year. 56%. We have less than half the listings that we did at this time last year. Not only that. So our numbers are 3687 available for sale. The average, the normal for the month of May would be 12,000 active listings. So that just goes to show you what is that? Like a, a a quarter. Definitely less than a third. Definitely less than a third. And okay, but this market they say is different than last year. This is again coming from this article and as mentioned they said this time last year the strong demand was largely driven by a surge in home buyers entering the market. There was a lot of fear that happened during March and April when things started to lock down. A lot of people took a pause. Some people didn't, and they benefited financially from not doing that, but many, the majority, took a pause. So what happened later in the year is there was this surge, this late spring, if you will, and and combined with also a fall. You almost had this double whammy happen in the second part of the year. Well, this year is different. The surge in demand is coming not from delayed or, you know, movement of the spring market into different seasons. It's coming from investors rather than end users. Investors are seeing opportunities to hedge against inflation and they're seeing real estate is the engine behind our GDP to save our souls and they're cashing in on it. In fact, when we look at home sales, they were down actually 18% year over year basis in October, but they still are above pre-COVID pandemic levels for October and 2018 and 2019. Some of the things I think about when I see sales, the movement of sales is my, my, my family of realtors out there, when sales are down, someone will say, oh, the market's super hot. Prices are really high. You must be having a great time. Well, generally, sure. Yeah. Historically, yes. But in a market that's as heated as it is, where you're competing against many, many people in order to purchase a property, you're stuck in a scenario. And we've talked about this and I'll follow up with you in a few months on how this all plays out, but trying to get your place sold before you can buy something and that whole issue Right. And then realtors with net less sales than they had last year, not necessarily the best industry to be a part of, but all the while people are pouring into our industry. Welcome. Come on in. Plenty of room, more listeners for our podcast. Why not? But what I think is interesting between those two numbers is when we see an active listing decline of 56% combined and paired with a home sales down 18%, that is a problem, right? We've got, we've got units that are essentially this buildup of, uh, or I guess the opposite. We've got a, a, a evaporation of active listings. Active listings are dropping so, so quick and the number of sales are making it just as bad. And when we look at the average price, it's up 28% over last year. Medium price is up 33%. So roughly 33% increase year over year as far as the median house price in Toronto. And condos aren't left out. I've, I've actually received phone calls. It's funny. Investors, the way they think, man, They'll call me. They say, I got condos. The condo's only up 15% year over year. I feel like I'm losing. 
Well, kind of on paper, right? You've got detached homes. You've got single family homes going up 30%. You're up 15. Yeah. You know, if it was a battle in that sense, it's just, it's kind of, it's funny how that works. Cause I think that way too, I'm guilty of this, but condos, if you own a condo versus the person who rents, so I guess it's ultimately who you're comparing yourself against. The person who owns that condo has experienced a 15% increase in October from last year. Still pretty good. Pretty good. Same goes for median price up 15%. So will interest rates, here's a question, will interest rates coming down save us? Well, according to this article, not necessarily. They say, while many people suggest an increase in mortgage interest rates will lead to a price drop, Pasalis, who's the author of, of a lot of these articles, suggests this is unlikely in the short term. What is short term? I guess that's the next question. But he says, many homeowners have fixed five-year mortgages, so the change in rates won't have an immediate impact. Not only do they have five-year rates, there was a swarm of refis that happened last year. An amazing number. People really locking in those low rates. They love it. They love it. To the point where people are getting kind of caught because the rates were low and they didn't want, banks didn't want to let them go. There's some strategies to play that up, but we're not going to get into that on the show. Here's what they say is the worst case scenario. <clears throat> Quote, if we see a lot of demand come out of the market and more homes listed for sale, our market will start to slow down. But will continue to remain in seller's market territory. We are so deep in the seller's market territory that even with a shift in everything, we'll still be there with prices growing at a more modest rate than we are seeing now, the report states. And I think that would be ultimately a good thing. As someone who invests in real estate, someone who works with people who invest in real estate, whether the prices go crazy at 20% is irrelevant. In fact, in some cases, it's actually better net for profit, profitability, when I take a step back, as you think about it from a human standpoint and the, the safety, right, in the modest increase of real estate in the long term, I'm talking 5 7% range. That's the sweet spot. That's what makes Canadian real estate so successful, not 20 30%. So though I think there's an element of greed and people are buying things up, and I think it, there's people who will get shocked in, in one way or another. That's what happens. I, I just don't think it's healthy. I really don't. I think it's, it isolates a lot of people, including the next generation, including my kids and your kids, your family, whatever. We all have loved ones that will will get tied up in, in this challenge. Well, people, millennials, young folks, people want to get in the market. They are turning to alternative investing strategies. With COVID, people have become more open than ever to rely on technology to fill that gap, Right. Plus, it's kind of nice to see churches, you know, embracing technology during a pandemic. Our priest bought our son his own webcam. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have a son. <laughs> Anyways, that was bad joke. Bad joke. Bless, bless, uh, bless this podcast, Lord. But we like to have some fun. And uh, I'm a churchgoer, so I feel like that gives me some, some uh, room for error here. Anyways, moving on. Theglobeandmail.com introduces us to what was for me a new concept, probably for you as well. It's the alternative investing strategy by a startup called Key Living, which helps renters get into real estate market by co-owning property. This idea of co-ownership has been on the rise a lot lately. Well, these guys have packaged it with a nice little bow in advance of, of Christmas this year. Well, here's what happens. When it comes to an individual or a family stepping in Canadian, Canada's housing market, there are two traditional options, right? We got buying, we got renting. That's what you got. Anything else is, is too crazy. Don't do it, right? Well, now, Toronto-based startup company, Key Living Corp, 
says it has been inspired by the spiraling housing affordability crisis in the country's largest cities and has launched a new financial arrangement it calls a hybrid of what binary choice, a choice for prospective home buyers to co-own an existing property while they also get to live in and earn equity as they pay rent. Best of both worlds. My instant thinking is that is a rent to own. <laughs> Close. Close. Here's how it goes. The company says its business differs from rent-to-owns, timeshares, or other fractional ownership because schemes, they call them schemes. Oh, those are schemes. Okay. In a number of ways. Here's the ways. They promise that potential pitfalls may be contained in those details. Here, what's going on? So they post, there's actually been postings on MLS. I haven't come across them, but apparently for co-ownership. So on Treb, you'll see a listing, right? And it'll say rock bottom prices. It'll be like $13,500 asking for a suite for a condo, right? Well, the description spells out the caveat, which is you're buying two and a half percent of a condo valued at 540,000. You're not buying the whole thing. You're getting two and a half percent. Here's how it works. The listing and keys description imply a buyer will own two and a half percent of that condo. But because that transaction is not going to be recorded as the title of the apartment, in other words, a land transfer, which actually have under contract instead of a land transfer, it grants them the option to buy that condo in a f- as few as three years, while in the meantime paying a monthly rental fee to the owner. Gets your foot in the door, partial ownership, not on title, but written in a contract to the side. It spells to me very much like a joint venture agreement till we hear some of the holes that are associated. A lot of people getting into joint ventures, as I guess to, f- to explain how that's the case. You'll have, so let's say we bring on a capital partner and we're buying a, uh, a triplex. If, if, because we're qualifying under residential, it makes sense for us to put it in their name and we will have a joint venture agreement that goes alongside that purchase agreement. So you've got a contract that is on the side at the time of close. And so technically the partner, the managing partner is not on title, but that doesn't mean they don't have joint ownership or rights to that property because of a well-written and thought out lawyer approved joint venture agreement. This sounds kind of like that, but if it was done on the internet, (laughs) here I'll continue. If the renter wants to sell their minority interest, they also gain a share of an accrued equity over time of occupancy, right? If I own two and a half percent of that property and the market goes up two and a half percent, I want two and a half percent of that two and a half percent. Simple enough. So they say this is the win for the buyer. The renter doesn't assume the mortgage debt or need to provide a huge down payment. The contracts have the same quote security of occupancy as a registered owner of the apartment, like a joint venture. Okay. Here are some of the risks. Some of the risks I think are important that we look at. Number one, you're not on title, right? That that is important. A potential downside could be the legal uncertainty created by the contract. Lack of title registry leaves the minority investor in a potentially precarious spot. You are a two and a half percent owner, dude. (laughs) What if the on-title owner wants to sell? What if the tenant stops paying for that property you purchased? What if when the tenant wants to buy the unit, the owner doesn't want to sell it anymore, which in rent to own contracts are well laid out. Make sure if you're going to approach a rent to own deal, you work. And if you need contacts, reach out to me. We got good ones, but you need to have the right people. Like that, that is, that can be a wild west. It really can. And people can get absolutely devastated if they don't do it properly. But those things are written in advance. But what if they're not? Maybe they're not here. What is the venue to adjudicate such disputes? And it's very expensive, as we hear later on in the article, because of legal proceedings that have happened in the past. But the next reason is there's no recourse. Because key living tenants are not on title, 
their rental agreements include a, pe- a pledge for parties to go to independent arbitration. And that's where in the Supreme Court of Canada decisions of 2020 and 2021, it's severely weakened what they call mandatory arbitration clauses on access to justice grounds, which could throw any key living dispute into a lengthy and expensive civil courts pr- process. In other words... The, the law is not in your side. It's going to become very expensive. Your two and a half could become a little more than two and a half fighting to protect your interest in that property. That's the short of that. Another reason is really the short history of this company, Key Living specifically. Quote, I would also be concerned that if this intermediary company vanishes or goes bankrupt and there's nothing to claim against. What do you got? What do you got? I think there'd be far more stability in a JV agreement, but what do I know? I love, at the same time, it sounds so much fun. (laughs) Maybe we just do it for fun. We'll try it out and tell you guys how it went. (laughs) But I love the creativity, right? I love the creativity in our market. Do we do co-ownership? Do we take single families, allow people to multiply them into a fourplex and sell them off as you would a condo with common elements? What happens and what is the solution to our market? Do we just get a, you know, a grandma-oriented rental platform where they can all kind of move in together and share a space with a common space? Kind of like students, but it's grandmas. That <laughs> sounds like fun though. But so far, there's been about 30 buyers that have purchased a minority stake in just the first few months of operation. They're killing it. One more contributor to the financialization of housing. They say it's a solution to it, but I think it's just the next logical step in making it available to your average Joe. What a different world we live in, right? My grandfather always accused me of being too reliant on technology. Well, I just unplugged his life support. Freaking hypocrite. <laughs> uh, but also cashing in on the, op- the opportunity to get involved in prop tech, property technology, Treb itself, the Toronto Real Estate Board is saying, opportunity, right? They're taking all their Treb members. You can't buy into this unless you're a Treb member. You're kind of part of it. And they've decided, here's what they say. The for-profit company has, they've called, they've literally, they've been trying to work on this for a while and it got approved. They got emailed to all of us. It's called PropTX Innovations. It'll be owned by Treb. There'll be no other shareholders, no other members. And really what they're trying to do is compete with prop tech companies, people that are releasing data and sharing information. We're trying to say, well, we want to innovate as well. And there hasn't really been a platform to do that. Well, this is their chance to fight back. Can they beat out the little guy? They've done it in the past. They'll probably do it. Now they're going to do it in a for-profit manner. We will see. (laughs) But just goes to show you the creativity that's out there. People looking for opportunities to make money. And there's a lot of people sitting back in their rental unit saying, it's not worth it. It is not worth it. You know what? I am better off renting. That's a good case people make for just staying home. Just rent, dude. It's good. You got it made, man. Don't switch it up. Tenant laws in Ontario, solid. Stay where you are. Well, this is part of a conversation. I love tuning into this discussion every now and again because CTV News is published with the help of Chief Financial Commentator Patricia Lovett-Reed, who I actually met face-to-face before. Long story, long time ago, so we won't go there. But she is very smart when it comes to finances and loves to give those kinds of contributions. So today, she talks about whether you're better to buy or rent and why each of those options are better for you. Let's look at it and consider the facts. (laughs) Despite Toronto's sky-high real estate prices, one financial expert says she still believes buying a house is a smarter decision than renting. You mean buy into this bubble? Man, apparently. 
Lovett Reed said that while it always depends on individual circumstances, she, quote, typically is in the camp of home ownership. Why? Why, Patty? Well, she says, I love the capital gains exemption on your primary residence. That tax break alone tips the scales for me. I love that as well. I love the capital gains tax exemption. I also love the primary residence exemption. I also love leverage. But I'll go, we'll go with this one for now. There's a ton of opportunities in there. But here's the caveat. I always think purchasing real estate is one of the best decisions for the long term, but it's a big but. I don't always see it that way for the short term. So if you're considering moving in, learning about the city, moving out, short terms from like two or less years for sure, you should just rent it, dude. Learn the area. It's so much easier. Pay the rent. You know, don't buy a property that you don't know about, you don't trust. And I've had clients, this is way back when I first started, I was helping with renters. And I don't do rentals as much as I say it back then, but they used it as a platform to learn an area and then springboard and say, you know what? We're going to try this city. Then we're going to try this city. And then we're going to fall in love. And then COVID is going to hit. We're going to have no choice. We're going to have to buy something quick. (laughs) That's not what happened. They had a little more patience than that. But anyways, some of the benefits of renting. Number one, she said the major benefit of renting is that it can be more financially stable for people not wanting to foot the bill for unexpected home repair costs. You know, that like, foot in the wall the tenant puts not my problem dude that's your house (laughs) but i guess it would be bigger things right foundation cracks foundation cracks (laughs) you know things that can cost a lot of money you know i gotta update this and that and this caught fire and hope you got insured thanks very much love it read also said renting offers people better flexibility if they ever need or want to relocate And I think that that's convenient because it also creates a platform where we can try and push tenants to be forced to relocate. Uh, So there's also a vulnerability, I think, balanced into there. But no question, it's easier to pack up and go. No transfer tax, no nothing. Just moving on. I got another unit. See you, dude. Right? Lots of flexibility available for tenants. These are some of the ways that makes it better. And the one that's really comical to me is renters have discretionary income to generate wealth if they're smart with their money. So in other words, you could put your money somewhere else. You, you know, you didn't put the down payment in this house. You can put it somewhere else. I am yet to meet, maybe I'm wrong, share it in the comments. I would love to hear from you guys on what that investment strategy looks like, but I don't know too many people who have refused to invest in real estate, have taken their down payments substantial enough to purchase real estate and have invested in other more lucrative opportunities. I know I'm going to shoot myself in the foot for that. But I really truly want to hear if you guys have scenarios like that, or if that is the case for you. I personally believe those who invest generally start with real estate, or at least have that as an opportunity, especially when it's as lucrative as it has been for us for the last several decades here in Canada. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But one of the things that really triggers the short-term rental space is really one big factor that I think is threatening the long-term rental space that they're kind of nipping at the other side, right? You've got this battle between trying to enter home ownership. Meanwhile, a loss of inventory from people that would rather rent it to somebody from another country, right? Well, we've got another city that's bought into this prohibition of short-term rentals. Today is Brampton. A lack of rental housing has being a problem in Brampton for several years with CMHC showing a vacancy rate, listen to this, a 1.2% in 2019. The vacancy is so low, so hard to find good living spaces. Meanwhile, rental ter- short-term rentals are just gobbling them up. Well, no more. Now they're putting restrictions on it. You can only have it for so many months of the year. You can only have it in your primary residence. You got to pay a fee to register. Some of the same stuff we've been talking about here in Toronto for some time, but just another city backing that same initiative in trying to address the low vacancy rates and the issues they've been experiencing. 
Another city cutting short-term rentals. Welcome to the club, right? How quickly things can change. I'm telling you, progress in action. Some people groan at the idea of brain transplants being popular in the future. Just wait until we develop the technology. That'll change their minds. <laughs> but what? here's one of the questions they had in the article. What if you can only afford outside of Toronto? Love it. Reed answered that question. She said, if you're moving outside Toronto just to chase the dream of home ownership, it isn't always the right move. She suggests that anyone who's considering moving out of the city just so they can afford a house should rent in the area first to make sure they like it. Kind of this concept of get to know the space before you move in. We've seen articles publishing where people have run away and they got caught and there's no way back. Maybe you keep the place you are if you're looking to downsize and move and, and rent it out and, you know, rent somewhere for a year. Yeah, you're giving up exemptions. Okay, but lifestyle here. And this is why I think we should not get too confused over either. Often we think our house is an investment. And I'm here to tell you today, not really. That's what puts you on par with everyone else. You want to talk about investing in real estate, get your house or rent and invest. In fact, I think once you hit that second property really is what puts you ahead of the curve to sit on land, to sit on a property isn't necessarily investing. When I'm looking at where I want to live, I will overpay for my house because my sweet honey deserves the beautiful kitchen with the coffered ceilings. Shoot me, damn it. Yes, an investor says it too. (laughs) But when it comes to getting rental units, where's the money? I'm the first to say, where's the money? I do math a little bit extreme sometimes when it comes to formulating deals. We've walked in the last couple of months, I've walked away from three properties with an investor because the numbers don't line up. Do your due diligence, folks. Be careful with what you buy. Just because it's cheap doesn't mean that it's going to be, it's going to pay off. But if you don't want to lose city life, here is an idea. There is density coming. Trend alert. <laughs> Listen up. If you've been falling asleep, wake up. I know some people listen to me as they fall asleep. I don't know if my voice is that sweet, but I appreciate the gesture. (laughs) But here's a trend that I've heard about coming a year or two. Now I'm starting to see it hit the mainstream, hit the news. And there's multiple facilities, or now I'm just dancing. (laughs) There are malls buying into this idea. And it's very easy when they're all owned by the same company. But here from BlogTO, an article reads, apartments at malls are the next big thing in Toronto real estate. Want to get want to get prices not the same as downtown Toronto, but you still want some level of city life. You know, it'd be like on a, t- a sitcom of some kind, right? Live right above, live right above the mall. How sweet would that be, right? At least you get kind of a somewhere in between. Well, this whether you love it or not is an upcoming trend right now. No less than three major shopping centers in the GTA are slated to have residences on site in the not so distant future, alongside parks office space, and other amenities typical of modern era mega developments. The president of Oxford Properties, the ones that's being focused here, and I guarantee you they're not the only ones talking about that. I heard other malls doing it too, but I won't mention them here because I don't know 100% and I only want to be confident with what we're saying. But in this article, we have three malls, Yorkdale Shopping Center, Square One Shopping Center, and Scarborough Town Center. They told Bloomberg last week the company is, quote, planning to add apartment buildings to each of the aforementioned malls. So maybe finding places in these areas will naturally draw more growth. It's kind of genius. Kind of genius when you consider the shopability, the amount of people nearby able to purchase from your mall is you're kind of buying your own clients to shop in your own mall. And it also speaks to the opportunity in housing. 
right? When we have these commercial developers, these large facilities that don't need to make the transition, recognizing the opportunity to create, whether that's rental housing or just condominiums in general or other forms of housing to deal with that area. There's an opportunity here, guys. There's an opportunity. Hopefully you're not missing it. But quote, I can assure you that what you see today is not what they're going to look like over the coming decade or two. That's talking about the malls. So get your shopping in now <laughs> before you can't enter it anymore. <laughs> I thought we were going to Amazon. Apparently, we're going to the malls instead. Taking too long with some of these shipping delays, supply chain issues. The real estate companies that advance will come out on top. Advance in the sense of continue to develop and move forward. We as investors should be thinking the same way. So keep your ear to the ground on new ideas. In fact, as well, I hear North Korea is coming out with a new cloning technology. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can't wait to meet Kim Jong-de. <laughs> Uh, I hope you guys learned some stuff today. Please hit the like button, subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.